Hello and welcome back to the DigiTalks podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today I'm joined by Thomas Schaefer. Thanks for joining me, Thomas. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm pretty excited because Thomas is the youngest guest we've had uh, here on DigiTalks, but he's got quite a uh, wealth of experience under his belt. So let me give you a little bit of a background into Thomas. He is incredibly passionate about all things video content, working as a director at Stepney Studios, my beautiful neighbours. Thomas is across high-level content like TV commercials and ads, all the way down to my wonderful social media work and short video content, specialising in creating strategically aligned, meaningful and emotive content for small and medium-sized businesses. Thomas works directly with marketing professionals, small business owners and creative agencies to ensure that the content they're creating has a purpose. Thomas is committed to supporting his clients in all stages of production, including building custom video strategies, ensuring the right content is created and for exactly who the content is supposed to be talking to. So Thomas, again, welcome. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to have you. Talk to me about how you even got into video production. It's a very deep and dark hole, Natalie. Let's go down the rabbit hole. It was a bit of a a, a sort of a workaround sort of from from graphic design to photography to then landing in, in video. I started off doing some backyard graphic design jobs for some people in the Barossa Valley where I grew up and essentially doing some cash jobs for people, trying to get some work. And that naturally led on to, oh, do you take photos as well? Always been into film, TV, all the classic story. So I started like adding that onto my services. And yeah, that just sort of naturally led into creating some video content. And how old were we at this point? I think I started like doing work, work at the age of like... 15, 14, yeah, 15. Right. You started so young. during high school, definitely should have been doing schoolwork instead, but always definitely loved doing those cheeky jobs on the weekends. But yeah, it's really one of those things that like I've always loved like tech and gear and like playing around with things and messing with things and playing around with cameras. And that kind of leads into like playing around with cameras and being able to like shoot content for people and shoot stuff that's not just some stupid videos for YouTube, which was what I was doing for most of the time. So anyway. <laughs> do we still have a YouTube channel? <laughs> we do. There's a lot of private videos on there. Okay. A lot of hidden videos on there that some people have brought up over time. But uh, a lot of like stupid visual effects and like I used to follow tutorials that were like 10 hours long to like how to like make a gun shoot or how about like make an explosion or something like that. And I'd sit there and... It's your generation that drove the growth of YouTube, I feel. I feel like I feel like I was late. I don't know. I feel like I was late. Like there were a lot of people who are slightly older who were doing some like really cool content for YouTube who uh, like I'd sit there and watch and follow their like tutorials and be like, these guys are so good from the US and like they're doing such cool stuff. The U- US and UK were leaps and bounds ahead of us when it came to YouTube. Very true. I think Australia's YouTube arc was sort of like the 2016, 17, 18, whereas like America and the UK were like, you know, 2014, 15. Yep, agree. very big. Now, did you go to uni straight from school? I did, yes. And what did you you get into? I did a Bachelor of Media at Adelaide Uni, which was a huge, for me, a huge waste of time. So You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I see the value in like studies and university for a lot of areas. I think for mediums that are very like practical, like video production, like you need to have like hands-on experience essentially. Yeah, it just didn't, 
it didn't tick the boxes for me. Like I did the, I mean, I did like the, the bare minimum that I had to do, essentially. Please get degrees. That's the one. But essentially, it's just all the work that I was doing on the weekends, like filming music videos, going out and filming content for cafes and businesses and stuff like that. Like that was the, the stuff. That's like actually the work. That's what I learned from. And so, I think that's what's gotten you to where you are as well, because you were willing to do that extra work and get those runs on the board to be able to build that portfolio that now has you a director at the ripe age of 24. Well, there we go. 23 now. Sorry, I got it wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> Even better. And that's a wrap. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it's just like, I always wanted to do this sort of work. And like, you have to kind of fake it till you make it, essentially. And just like make it for yourself. Marketing is perception. Yeah, definitely. And that, that ties into video so massively. How did you get into the music video side of things? Because I feel like that's a little bit of a niche in itself. It is definitely a niche in itself, um, especially in somewhere like Adelaide. I got into it. One of my good friends, Jack, uh, was in a band uh, and his band needed a music video. So he was shooting them previously and he reached out and he was like, hey, you know, do you want to do this one with me? Um, And we did the first one for free, obviously. Always. Always for free. And yeah, we did it and... I was actually quite proud of it at the time. Like I thought, I was like, this is this is sick. Like this is great. Are you and not I, proud of it now? I like, I think if you look at past projects and you're like, these are still really good, there's something wrong. <laughs> like you have to be improving. You have yeah, to keep totally. improving. But like I was, I was pretty happy with it. It got played on Rage. Does which Rage was, still exist? It, it got played at like 4 a.m. or something. Okay, we stayed up. It got played to all three people watching the TV at the time. And yeah, that was like the, the first like kick for us was like, this got on TV. Like, how good is that? And yeah, just then from there, like some more free music videos um, for those guys, for the Friends Band. And then it's like Friends of Friends Bands. And then it's like, okay, here's the artists, like the managers, like mm-hmm. the managers that now go, okay, these guys did the video. Let's get into the other artists like in our portfolio, essentially. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where it leads leads from there. So how did you break out of that? Because I think it, it can happen in a lot of different disciplines. You kind of fall into a niche and then it's very hard to break out. That's it. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, especially within like music videos and then picking a genre of music within that and in a smaller place, like you get like, oh, those are the guys that do band music videos for indie bands. And then like, that's your, like, you can't break out of that. Like, that's your thing. You have to have drive and like those concepts need to be really strong. And if someone can see that that concept's really strong and you've thought about it and there's some like, they're like, they can be like, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. Like they'll get you to do it, like essentially. And they'll give you a crack. Not everyone's like that. Like there's the, the really great people out there that go, okay, we'll give these guys a shot. And then you break into a different genre. Like we only did our first like actual hip hop music video three months ago. Really? After doing like 15 music videos. And we've been wanting to do one since day one, essentially. Yeah. Like it takes a while. But you didn't have the street cred. That's the one. <laughs> and now we've got the most street cred possible. Done How a music good. video. How good. That's the, that's the street cred genre. Now that's really interesting because yeah, I think that the issue of being niche comes up so much. But the reality is in 
I'd say even in content production, because things are moving so quickly and because things are evolving at such a rapid pace, you've got to be able to pivot quickly. So I'm really interested as to how digital kind of changed this as well, because cool. So shooting something suitable to be played on TV for rage is very different as shooting something that's just for socials. That's it. I mean, like the video that we shot, luckily was like to the right specs that it could be played on somewhere like Rage. And I think it's like in terms of things being the right quality, I think it's kind of like that's kind of come down in the last couple of years, okay. I would say. I think the, like the regulations and like the requirements for what kind of quality would have been potentially more, I would say more strict in the past like 10, 20 years. You can shoot something on like a DV camera, like from the early 2000s now. And like, that's your music video and that's your aesthetic. And that'll be like, that's like the quality. And you can upload that somewhere and it'll be played on TV. Like that's just accepted. Some artists, like that's their style. And some brands, that's their style. Yeah, right. Like it doesn't, unless you're shooting stuff for Netflix where it needs to be like a certain quality shot, a certain camera. But I think... There's a lot more, like a lot of those different styles, essentially, if then maybe not as good, are a lot more socially acceptable now as like an aesthetic. Do you think that's come from social and the growth of social and people loving user gen and authentic content? I think so. And I think it's like even tying it back to using like worse cameras, it's like, oh, these people are cooler and they're like more in the know because they're using these like bad cameras, or, like worse cameras. Going back to the using, even using like beyond that, using film again. Yeah. Like, film cameras, even movies shot on film. Like, super, what is it? Six, super 66 or whatever it's called? Super that's 8. Not even super close. 8. <laughs> super 8. <laughs> I don't know why it's just in my head. Super, super 8. 8 cameras. Like, I even did a shoot and I wanted it to look like it was a Super 8. That's it. You can make it look like that, but then you never get the same. You're better off shooting it on that camera than you are making it look like that in post, aren't you? The process is really, really weird though, shooting on film. Like, even I had this like perception of like, oh, it's like this beautiful thing. We get to shoot on film. It's like this like physical thing and we get to load it into the camera and it comes out the other end and gets developed. It's like you're there and you're like, we've just shot all this content and now we have to change mags onto the next one because we're out of content essentially. Like with a digital camera, you just like pop another card in. Oh, we bang, take it for done. granted. And like this thing, you have to go into like a tent, like a dark tent. No light can come in. And with your hands, like you have to like just sit there and be blind and like load the thing in. It's terrifying. And like you could stuff it up and the full, the whole thing could come out and then you're done. Like yeah, everything you've shot. Yeah, what's the role of film worth too? They're not cheap. Like 300 bucks for like, oh, someone's going to crucify me for this. But like... 200 bucks, 300 bucks for like 10 minutes worth. So it's like, if you want to shoot a, like a four minute video and you have to shoot like four times the amount of content to cut into that four minutes. Fuck it up. Yeah, (laughs) I know. It's not cheap. Video is obviously a really hot topic at the moment. Uh, Short form video is everywhere. We've got TikTok, we've got Reels, we've got YouTube doing shorts now. Has that changed, I guess, businesses that you're working with, their perception on how much content they need to produce? I think so. I mean, it comes down to like the classic request we get is like, can you shoot a three-minute video for our website? And then we have to like go back and be like, hey, the amount of content we're shooting for three minutes of worth of video on your website could equal like 20 social media videos. 
like that is probably more valuable and a more valuable use of your time rather than just shooting this one thing that just gets plonked on your website and it's like, they're done. Yes. thing. But I love that you say that because there are so many other people that don't understand the strategy behind it. And I think this is something that you and I have talked about on many, many occasions. Your three-minute brand video that's just on the website, if 10 people watch it, oh, well done. If you chop that up, you can still have it sitting on there for three minutes just as sort of a bit of a nesting place. But if you chop that up and get 20 social clips, you're probably set for like six to nine months. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not, it's no extra work in terms of filming. You're still shooting the same amount of stuff. It's just your application and how it's being used. And your intention for your deliverables. Yeah, exactly. I think people are becoming more aware of like, okay, we need to get this and we need to get stuff for socials. But yeah, definitely. It's just more so about educating people as to like, okay, this is what we can do. This is the amount of time we can film for. And like, here's your list of stuff you can create from it because it's massive. How do you determine what is the right content mix for a potential client? So we either work with like marketing professionals or agencies who have already determined like their marketing outcomes and essentially what they need from a shoot. And they'll come to us with a brief and go, this is exactly what we need from you. We know what we need. This is where it fits into our, our strategy for our business, mm-hmm. which we love because, you know, it's coming from the source, essentially. But for companies that might be a little bit more confused or a little bit less like further down the line, we can essentially create a bit of like a video strategy that outlines some like business aligned objectives and figure out the different types of video that fit within like a, a consumer awareness stage within their business. So like if we create like a brand story video that sits, you know, sort of towards the start, but then we might look at creating like some personalized like thank you videos or like thanks for visiting or something. And that sits like right at the end. Yeah. So we come up with a bit of a graph and then yeah, present that, which can be really useful. Love it. I think that's a really interesting approach. And I think as well, we've all had the client or, you know, the, the business owner who's come to us and said, I just want a cool video. And I obviously spoke with your business partner, Cooper, about this as well earlier earlier in season one. And gosh, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, but what does that mean? What's the outcome? I think when you flip your thinking to go outcome first, yep. you really start to think about things completely differently. Oh, exactly. I know. And there's so many ways to get to that outcome as well. And like, that's where the confusion comes in. It's like, okay, we've got this objective and we want to get X amount of sales or X amount of new customers like, where do we target them? It's like video is the most marketing aligned thing that, that I can think of. Yeah. Like, and it's a, such a really, like, it's a pe- really powerful tool to help get there, essentially. Totally. If we look at video as, I guess, the, the tangible, there are so many different points in which the customer journey, it can be injected, right? And being able to actually sit back and go, cool, what does it look like? in awareness? What does this look like in consideration? Conversion, completely different language. Exactly. I know. So, and you you have to appeal to all stages. Like you can't just bring customers in awareness level and go like, here's our brand. And they come in and they they have nothing. They have no new content to look at because they've already passed that first checkpoint. So you need to be looking after all of the aspects and all the points. And yet, each, each video for each stage is completely different. Have you ever pitched an idea that, again, I think we've all had this, you pitch an idea, you think it is the absolute bee's knees and you're like, this is it. Sat down with a client, pitched it and they've just gone, nah. And you've had to convince them otherwise. 
trying to think of a good example for that, but yes, definitely. I feel and this like happens you, all the time. I feel like you had someone that didn't want to talk on camera. This is true. Yeah. This tell me about that. Example. We even had a client that particularly, and we we have this with like 90% of the people we work with, is the first thing we hear back is like, I'd prefer to not be on camera. And we go, I understand, like totally understand that because we're the same. Like I hate being on camera. So me too. it comes Says down me. to <laughs> <laughs> And like we yeah, we even had one person recently who was convinced they didn't want to be on camera at all, which we're like, you know what? That's okay. Like we're not in the business of like forcing people to be on camera and making it this huge thing and like it's this terrible experience. No, but there also are, in marketing, it's our job to make recommendations. And if it's in the best interest of the final outcome and, yes. and the clients get the project, then obviously you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing. You know what? I think most people know that it's a good thing for them to be on camera and for them to speak to their customers in whatever way that looks like. You know, there's, there's a few sneaky tricks we can do. You don't actually have to look at the camera. You can have someone like a conversation that someone can film. Yeah, I love doing that. Even we can like, when it comes to the, the point where someone really doesn't want to be on camera, we can do like a voiceover, have some photos appear on screen have some like relevant content of them like, you know, chatting to some staff members, some overlay footage, B-roll as we call it. And yeah, like that does the job essentially. It's people watching this video, hearing someone's voice, seeing them going, oh yeah, like people piece things together really easily. So there's like heaps of tricks and, and ways of getting past that definitely. Every shoot we do, it's like, oh, I really don't want to be on camera. And then we say like, no, 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 you'll be all right. Like you'll like we convince them essentially. Yeah. And then they go, okay. And then we film something and we show them and they go, oh. and then immediately the first thing is like, they're looking at their hair, they're looking at how they look and they go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they jump back in, do something slightly differently, look at it again and go, okay, that looks, yeah, that looks okay. And then we do some editing, do some touching up, do some really nice color, send it back to them and then they'll go, yeah, actually, this is, this is good. Like, yeah, I, okay. I like this. And like all their staff members or like people around them, like, you killed it. This looks fucking great. And again, I think as well, people that aren't experienced in production, they'll look at raw video footage and be like, oh my God, that's, is that it? It looks terrible. Mate, let me color grade it. <laughs> Just you wait. Yeah. Know, the final touches. But yeah, it really comes down to like, we obviously understand the process from start to finish of like what we're doing and what we're there doing. And we're like setting up a mic somewhere and someone's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you changing lenses? Why are you setting up this like massive light? And it's just essentially us like having to convince people like, no, 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 like we've, we're doing this for a reason. Just like, just wait until you see the final result, essentially. Yeah, we're not setting up lights for fun. No, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we do, but no. But it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. I remember, I think it was like, I reckon it was one of your music videos and you had to do daylight in the, in the bedroom. That, yes. when I saw the final footage from that, I remember seeing someone's stories from that shoot and it looked so fake and it was just like, way too much. Then I saw the final footage and I was like, wow, it legit looked like seven o'clock in the morning. The sun had just risen. For context, sorry, just for all the listeners. Mm. We were shooting a music video and it was nighttime and we didn't, we'd run out of time in the day or we'd, we'd schedule it this way. We'd, we'd just say that. Um, we'd run out of time in the day to shoot uh, like, a, like the sun coming through a window. So ah. we essentially set up this light outside that was like a really nice warm light coming through some shears. And we had like the angle set up like a certain way so that it looks like it was sunset. And we just had that for like hours on end. The sun was in the same position because we lit it that way. It looked unreal. It looked. Yeah. But like 
when you're there, you're looking at it. You look outside one window and you're like, That's the, that looks wrong. That, that looks really bad. But on screen, like when it's done, you're like, okay, this makes sense. And like, as long as you don't know the behind the scenes, like what's behind it. It's the same with like set building. Like most rooms in movies are just like wooden walls that have just been painted with a coat of paint with like yeah. some fake stuff behind them. It's yeah. like, it's all a massive illusion. But that, I feel like that is production as a whole. It is an illusion. You think, you know, you think everything is, even some of the food in some things is fake. Oh, yeah. I had this discussion, what were we shooting? We were shooting some content of some bagels yesterday, which, who doesn't love a good bagel? Love bagels. Anyway, Salmon and cream cheese, please. That was the one. And we were talking about like, this is like, common knowledge now. Like I had no idea like that people knew that, or maybe not everybody, but people knew that like... They will now. Shooting, when they shoot a Macca's ad or shoot some food on screen, like the, what they're filming, like if they're shooting like a caramel sauce, that's actually like motor oil. Like it's not caramel sauce or like they glue things together and it's all like... That's it's not edible, but it's like to made to made to look that way. Mm-hmm. It's that like sense of like physically, that's not actually what that is. Have you ever done a shoot with like a fruit and veg shop or anything? No. So I've done some stuff with food many years ago, and you actually spray it with like a glucose spray, and it makes it look shinier and Same it makes with- it look more appetizing. In real life, it looks ridiculous, but as soon as you get that behind the camera, it looks completely different. Same with sweat. Like if you're filming like an athlete or like a yep. like a range of clothing. Yeah, like we used need, to spray them. Yeah, you get like glucose in a bottle. Yeah, we can and buy you like from spray the people on there. And it's like, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like sticky. And if it's like a hot day, it's like the most uncomfortable thing ever. Like no one is comfortable shooting that. But it looks awesome. But that's, again, where we talk about the thought that goes into these things. You can't just chuck some stuff in front of a camera and go, yeah, cool, it looks good to my natural eye there are things that need to be taken into consideration. Oh, yeah. Everything needs to be taken into, into consideration with video. like. And this is where, you know, I think socials and the instant expectation of a high quantity of content has really messed with people because they go, well, we don't need as much planning time. Incorrect. Absolutely. Just as much planning is essential because otherwise you're going to actually waste time in the production phase. That's it. And without that that planning, like... It's the classic thing that the more people we bring onto set, the quicker it goes. Like the more people we have there to carry things, set things up, like people who are experts in just doing this one really small job, like the job goes so much quicker. And just having like one or two people there trying to do everything, like you're going to miss so many opportunities to shoot things. And yeah, it's just, it all comes down to planning. Like you need to be planning, even when it comes down to like social media content. Like we do so much planning for TV commercials. It's not funny. We'll do like two or three weeks just straight worth of planning, like getting things in order. Like I'll go to like the where we're shooting and just hold up like a sun tracker app to find out exactly where the sun is at what time to find out like what equipment we need at that time. Yeah, right. And like if things go off the rails in the day, like the whole thing goes to shit essentially. So, and but you need like even when it comes down to social media content, you need to be planning like putting some consideration into like, what shots are we getting? What's our objectives here? 100%. Yeah, it all, all, all ties back into... You know, I get frustrated now when I still see people posting on um, Instagram in landscape. If you're not telling your videographer or your content creator to shoot in portrait, 
then you're missing a massive opportunity here because the algorithm is looking at that and going, hmm, you're not giving me what I want, so I'm not going to favour you. Or shooting like landscape and then putting like black bars, like oh, film black it bars hurts on my top. soul. I may have done that one or two times because I'm not good at Instagram. Look, that's the thing. That's why you have me. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I understand that some shots truly portrait doesn't know justice. I completely understand that. But this is where understanding where your output is going to actually go. You can do the landscape on Facebook, put it yep. on YouTube, yep. you know, put a link to it in your Instagram story. Like there yep. are so many other ways to connect the dots without posting it to yep. your Instagram with oh, the black borders. That's it. I mean, we shoot most of the content we shoot, we have like an overlay on our like monitor, like what we're looking at on set that has like the landscape square and portrait like lines on the screen. So I that love we know that. whatever we're shooting, it'll fit into every like ratio essentially. I know you get annoyed when I make you build your camera <laughs> portrait, but... I hate it. Yeah, but it look, it's so much better because I can actually see then what you're actually yeah, shooting. no, 100%. And that's like, it just comes down to like, if we're shooting that landscape and then cutting it to square... You lose so much. Portrait, like, you're cutting down, like, for us technically, like, I'm dying inside when I'm shooting that. Like... Just need we just need to flip it portrait and actually shoot that way and actually maximize like the sensor and the lens and like the quality that we're getting. Again, it's shooting with intention. Yeah, and planning and like knowing what it's going to because you don't want to get to the end of a portrait shoot where you've had the camera going, filming this way, the wrong way the whole time. And then at the end they go, oh, actually this needs to be on like the side of a bus or like on the side of like a, you know, a building or something or like on a, you know, a display. Like, but we even find this now, like, you know, we'll have photographers who will do shoots for clients and then we'll get sent the content. And, you know, we had a magazine publication email us saying, hey, we want to feature this business. You've got the photos. Can you send them through? Need the high res. Yeah, no stress. Send them through. Oh, no, no, no. These aren't, these aren't high res. Right. I said, but these are the only ones we have. Mm. No, we need 2,500 pixels. Okay. That's for print. Guess what size the photos that we have are? What? Like 450. Not good and enough. I was trying to explain, but because it wasn't shot with that purpose. Yeah. You can't expect us to actually magically just have these 2,500 pixel photos oh, when yeah. we didn't shoot with that in mind. And like a lot of the places that we've shot with, especially when it comes down to like food or travel, things that like get published to like the South, like SATC, essentially, like they have requirements for like this is exactly what your content needs to be. Even like what's featured in the content. Like it can't be staged. It can't be like the lighting can't look this certain way. Like, really? Yeah. And this is like even before we knew the content was going to be like featured for the Tourism Commission. And like we'll shoot a bunch of content and then like two years later, they'll get back to us and say, hey, do you have those images in like 10,000 pixels by like 15,000 pixels or something. It needs to go on like that. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that was never the, like there's some sneaky things we can do with like I was going to say, so what, but, what can you do in that instance? Oh, like I've done some sneaky like upscaling. Like you can like digitally like using like AI essentially, yeah. like make it sharper and make it slightly bigger, but you can't increase something by like 400%. Like you just have to go right, just use it like as is. But this is the whole thing that comes down to intention. Like you can't turn around three years after the fact and be, and be like, nah. hey, I want that photo we took for socials nah. for a bus. And you know what? Shoot it again. Yeah, like I agree. This is the thing. And like you shouldn't be relying on content that hard 
that you're going like three years back in your archive and going, oh, we just need that one thing. But it happens a lot. Yeah, that's it. It happens so much. Like even for us, explaining to people that you need to be committing to content on a quarterly basis. Yeah, yeah. And that's like the word content actually like is reaches out to a massive amount of things Uh you can be creating. It doesn't have to be the same thing. Like, and yeah, creating quarterly is like, that's kind of a minimum, really. Well, that allows, like, again, we plan quarterly. So that allows us to go, cool, we know for the next three months, we need at least two reels a month. We need a balance of people photos, location photos, food, whatever, whatever the content pillars are for that client. Yep. And then we can plan that shoot accordingly. So we Mm -hmm. know at the end of that shoot, we're walking away with exactly what we need. Yeah, exactly. And we're not sitting there a month before we're scheduling going, ah, shit, I don't have what I need. That's it. Yeah. And it makes your job really frustrating because you can't like wheel out of thin air a bunch of content for some. Well, I mean, we're very resourceful, but you know, you can only be so resourceful. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it does also come down to budget. And there's, again, I think a big piece in educating people around levels of content Mm. and that it's not the TVC or it's crappy stuff on your phone. We are capable of so much more in between now. That's it. I mean, it's like we have a really handy graph that we send people because like we're very visual people. But essentially, it's like number of videos compared to cost. And it's like smallest number of videos at the top is like highest cost. And then at the bottom, like largest number of videos, like you should be producing heaps of these, should be like next to no cost. So that's like user generated content, stuff that's really cheap to make essentially, but really like still really impactful. And then when it comes to like the top, like TV commercials, like high level ads, branding, like if you're doing one of those every six months to a year, like that's okay. Like that's all you need to be doing. I just want to touch on this because we have talked about this before, the concept of hero content hub content and hygiene content. So you've got three levels. Talk to me about that. Hero content for us is the stuff that like we personally get the most excited for because it's the content that we can go all out and like we can get all the crew out, all the equipment, all the team and just go like all out on a project. It's like a TV commercial, like a high level ad, like something where we've got like a team of like 5, 10, 15 people on and like that stuff like is like the real show, real piece stuff for us. But we also know that like, it's not just that level of quality that's really good. It's all the planning and the creative that's gone into it, like behind, like behind the scenes, essentially, like pre-production to make sure that it's actually going to like resonate with people. And yeah, just having something like creative and like really well planned and mapped out to shoot is like always like, is really exciting. Hero content naturally will have a longer lifespan as well because it is more thought out from the brand level. Your brand values don't change campaign basis. They are, that's that's who you are, it's what you do, it's why you do it. Might change every four or five years if you want to reinvent or reinvigorate something. Mm. Um, But on the whole, you'd say that that piece of content will, you know, stand the test of time to a degree. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, stand the test of time. Like it has to actually... You spend too much time with Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we all say the same things. We have to see other people once in, once in a while. Yeah, essentially that content needs to like, someone needs to go onto it, needs to be able to go onto an account and scroll back and like keep scrolling back and not hit this wall of like, whoa, what's happening here? Like this content is like crap. Like that still affects your your image. Like people do scroll back that far essentially, whether that's YouTube, Instagram, social media, whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, And yeah, if it can stand up like... 
some of the best campaigns, like creative campaigns, are like from five, ten years ago, like even even older. Like, does anyone recommend? Do you remember the Decoray commercial? That oh. Decoray. Right, right. <laughs> I'm too young for that. Really? Okay, I'm showing my age. Can you please leave me a comment if anyone remembers that because that was elite. Nah, no idea. But these are those ideas that, again, totally solidify what that brand is about. Exactly. And that's the kind of stuff that you invest in. So I guess that's why we call it hero content. Yeah, exactly. For my clients, I'm really only going to recommend that to you probably when we first start working together if we need to really establish who you are, get that visual identity happening. Obviously, from a social perspective, we're going to chop that up as well because we don't need that long form. But like we said, that three-minute video, cool, that can probably live on your website or your YouTube channel if you have one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we did a project together uh, for a client of yours that really needed to build their their brand and their, their their story. And so we came up with a creative idea to like bring some emotion into the brand and like to the people who are actually going to be looking at this from an awareness point of view yep. and created a campaign and shot all the content in a day. And what were the outputs for that? It was like a brand story video, well, like we a got 30 the, second. We got the brand story. We got... I chopped that up into five. Then I got um, content for the how-to videos of the screen record for for the explainers. I got over six months worth of content out of that. Yeah. And essentially, like without that creative planning, if we would have just shown up for a day and gone, let's just shoot some stuff that looks cool. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And again, in saying that too, yeah, we shot that because that intentionally was for the website. Yeah, we shot at Landscape, but we also factored in that it was going to be cropped into reels as well. Exactly. So talk me through um, hub content now. What does that look like to you? I think hub content is like where we can really try creative ideas out without the all of the stress and all of the like thought that goes behind a hero piece that essentially yeah. needs to be perfect. Like it's the hero piece. Yeah. We can really lean into like really creative ideas that essentially get across like one really strong point and need to do so in like a really quick, concise manner. And we can put that production value behind it you know, obviously, reasonably, doesn't have to be like 20 people floating around on set doing crazy stuff. Like, But if it, you want to, we can. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, we can. But then we're going up a tier. Um, <laughs> essentially, it needs to be content that gets across like a really solid point for a shorter period of time, but really still fits into that same level of quality that you'd be getting with a hero image. Essentially, those like hero images have like, there might be like four people behind just the camera on those shoots. But essentially, with a hub shoot, you can just have one person doing that, getting like 80 to 90% of the quality. But when most people look at it, they go, okay, these two things align. They look similar. Yeah, it's cohesive. Yeah, exactly. Going on that, because I don't think that a lot of people, and again, you know, if you're listening and you are in a marketing role and you've never really been on set for a big TVC or like a high level production, it's mind-blowing how many people are involved. And, you know, in order to actually get everything going, you know, before I ever went on set, I had no idea. Yeah, it's a massive thing. And it's like it's like putting on a stage show or like, you know, a performance, essentially. Like, it's like you have this time and it needs to be like 3.30 that this thing needs to happen. And like, everyone needs to be organized in the same place. And you've got people with trucks and vans and like, everyone's got their one really specific job that they do really, really well. And they've been doing really well for like 30, 40 years or something. Not their first rodeo. Exactly. And you've got these people like all working together as one massive team to, you know, to create that and to get that job together. 
it's like, it's kind of like the carny, essentially, like the film industry. Like you've got all these like people that like work together on different jobs. And it's always a different crew of people together, but everyone kind of knows each other and works together like really, really well. And it's just like, it's a really great environment to be a part of. They all um, just kind of come together. Yeah, exactly. And you like sit and have a lunch break for like half an hour or 45 minutes and just chat and talk stories. And oh, yeah, I saw this actor on this thing and I was with this person on this thing. And oh, yeah, it was pretty cool. And like nothing really seems to bother anyone. And like you just get back on the set and it's like, the, like everyone works together. Yeah. Because everyone well, knows what they're there to achieve. Essentially, yeah. Mm. And like things, things do go wrong from time to time. Like none of these productions are completely perfect. But when you've got people who are like the, at the top of their game, like they know how to fix it. And essentially, you've just got all these like creative problem solvers like walking around, like just helping and like trying to get this thing moving and like, yeah, and get it done essentially. Talk me through what a roadblock looks like. I think one of the most common ones and probably one of the most commonly like documented roadblocks is like the relationship between like a director and the talent on set. Like essentially actors need to turn up and just go bang, like straight into the lines and over and over and over and over again, like the same thing. It's the most frustrating thing ever. And like, I would hate to do that as a job. Yeah, I can do it. And a director, <laughs> like creative director is essentially going there and going like, what if we tried this? And what if we tried this? And it's like, you have a time limit, essentially. And you've got to bring it. Yeah, and you need to know like when you've got that take and when you've got the backup take and the backup of the backup, just in case the timing doesn't work or something, like bang, move on, next thing. That's a lot of pressure too, to be able to know, cool, yeah, I think we've got it. Because if you say we've got it, and then you look back at the footage two days later and you, in fact, don't got it, what oh, happens? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's on you. It's on your head. Essentially, you need to be so across the idea every part of the idea that when you go into that, you're like, I know as soon as I get this thing and I see it, I'm like, that's the moment. That's it. I'm done. And it's like even down to like the most stressful moment, which is like wrapping at the end of a day and you're on your last shot and you've got the last take and everyone's really tired and you've gone like 10 minutes over and then you've gone 30 minutes over and then it's two hours over and you're like, I need to get these people out of here. Like saying, all right, that's a wrap. Like that's done. We're all packing up, going home, like you're committing to that being, that's Done. what you have. Like that's what you have to work with. So yeah, it's, it's stressful, especially when there's like, that's your head on the line. But yeah, like it's just the comp, you need to have confidence within like what you're seeing. Let's talk about hygiene content because that really is the stuff that makes the wheels go round. That is the bread and butter from a social perspective. I know it's not always as glamorous. However... We can jump on trends. We can be a little bit more creative. How does that fit into what you guys do at Stepney? I think we naturally do slightly less hygiene content, just in the sense that like hygiene content for us is like more so user-generated content, stuff where we're filming like 30, 40, 50 videos like in one lot to like go out. The quality obviously is like, you know, is, is less from our point of view Obviously, like most people see it and they go, yeah, it looks the same, which is like the most frustrating thing ever. That but, hurts your soul, doesn't uh, yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> like to go to sleep at night going, that one person said. But, but it doesn't need the level of audio. It doesn't need the no, level of editing. No. And like you can get the point across on like an iPhone, essentially. And like phones, like the iPhone and phones in general, like have a look, essentially. Like I was talking about aesthetics, like you yeah. know, film cameras, old digital cameras, like... Filming stuff on an iPhone is now like a look, essentially. And like for social media, like I would trust someone more. This is devastating. But I would trust someone more 
if I saw them saw them post a video from their phone, upload it straight onto their phone, because I feel like that's more natural than it's less going curated. Through, yeah, exactly. And then going through the filmed on like a professional camera, and then going through all these like steps in certain areas. Yes, doesn't but, apply to everything. But this is why it's about having that balance of all three types of content. Yes, right. Exactly. So if you've got that hero stuff that's threaded in between, keeping your brand aligned and keeping it all leveled, then the hygiene stuff is just that little top up, that little real time. That's where you get the best results. Hundred percent. Yeah, and it's like even like from our point of view, like we don't look at iPhone content and go, "Oh, that sucks." Like if we see something, like we see content from all these areas, just even us outside of work, like, and it all like it all fits into that. To that balance, it just depends on like where you're looking, what stage of the process you are, are you a customer? Like, is this something you're interested in? Like, yeah. Like I I get, and I hate this, but I get most of my like entertainment, like comedy-wise, from TikTok, which is like all iPhone content. Like there's very, a very small amount of like curated professionally filmed content on and TikTok. And I've found the level as well. Like I think some people are shooting on really crappy old iPhones too because yeah. some of them some of them are blurry, some of them oh, aren't yeah. fab, but you I mean, you get the point, right? Exactly. And it's like I feel like that person has like seen something, filmed it and then put it straight up and you're like I I get that essentially. Like it's the, it's the difference between watching that and watching like a comedy film or like a comedy skit that's like been put together and like they're both like can be like equally as funny and equally as good, but they both fit in different areas on different platforms and like tick certain boxes. Couldn't agree more. Thomas, I could talk about TikTok with you now that I'm on it all day. However, we've got to wrap this up, but I really appreciate your time and your insight. I think your ability to look at things more strategically from a content perspective is so unique and it is so needed in the way that the landscape is evolving. I also just admire the fact that you are 23, not 24. I got that wrong. There we go. You are running a an incredible company. I'm so proud to be partnered with you guys. What would be your advice for someone, you know, little Thomas, 18-year-old Thomas, what would you say to him? Okay. That's a, that's a huge question. So much pressure. I think for someone around that age, like someone starting or someone coming up in terms of like video production, just get out there and do stuff. Just get out there and film stuff. Like doesn't matter what it is. Like it's all just time behind the camera, on the tools, like getting to know things. Like it's it all plays such a massive part in the overall like game. Like you could be sitting there like watching, studying films, all that stuff. Like that's all useful, but just get out there and do stuff. Like that is it's so easy to say, but like that is the most important thing that I've picked up. No, nah, I think that's brilliant advice. You know, it's all well and good to to go to uni and to do the theory. But if you're not actually out there doing the thing, then you're never going to learn. And yeah, I think what it. I admire the most about your generation, what I admire the most is you will watch that 10-hour YouTube tutorial. You will sit there and learn practically how to do something. So kudos, kudos. As always, any questions for myself or Thomas, please join the DigiTalks group on Facebook. Send me an email, send me a message, anything you'd like to see in future episodes. I cannot believe we're getting very close to season three here. So if there's anyone you want to chuck in the deep end, please also send me their names. Until next time, have a wonderful week. 